Thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, that uh, you hear the voice of our supplications. As we just read, the psalmist said, Lord, out of the depths, I have cried out to you. And Lord, we ask you to hear our voice this morning. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my supplications. Father, we first grant to you all power, all honor, and all glory. We come before you, Lord, as our great God and our eternal King. Lord, we acknowledge this morning that we are sinful. Not only in that we have sinned, but we also do sin. Lord, we want no self-deception about that. Your word makes it clear that if we denied our sin, we would be calling you a liar. Lord, our sin is ever before us, as David said in Psalm 51. So we want to first, Lord, confess our sins, knowing that you are faithful to forgive us and that you bring your righteousness to bear in cleansing us daily of sin's accumulating effect. Lord, in the same breath, we thank you. Because, Lord, your word, as we just read, said that if you should mark iniquities, Lord, who could stand? We thank you, Lord, that you don't mark our sins against us, that you don't hold them over our heads, that you do not strive with us. But, Lord, for believers, our, our sins have been forgiven. You don't mark them. Lord, your word says there is forgiveness with you that you may be feared. So, Lord, we thank you, our Heavenly Father, for the glories of the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ and the fellowship that we enjoy together with both you and your son, Jesus. Lord, sometimes our mouths cannot find sufficient praise in which to bless you when we consider how great you are to us, Lord, and how sinful we are. Lord, you're so great to us. You're so wonderful to us. And unless we take it for granted, Lord, it is you who enables us to wake up every morning. Lord, we don't wake up under our own power. It is you who does it, Lord. It is you who is the giver of life. It is you who created us and not we ourselves. Lord, it is in you that we, we live and move and have our being. It is because of you, Lord, that we're able to live, that we're able to walk, that we're able to, to talk and have activity of our limbs, that we're able to, to have fun and enjoy what you have given us on this earth. The phones that we Holding our hands so precious, Lord. It is you who created the materials that gave man the ingenuity to even create them, Lord. It all is sourced from you. But yet, Lord, we sin against you still. Lord, our poor minds can't begin to, to fathom the immensity of your grace. But Lord, we know that you are far more worthy 
than our language could ever express. Even if we don't express it, Lord, we know that you are infinitely more worthy of all praise, honor, and glory. And Lord, that can't stop us from trying to give you simple thanks for being so good to us. Lord, we thank you for the daily mercies you shower us with. The comforts and blessings of life, the joy of family and friends, the love of the church, and countless other things, Lord, that you give us so richly to enjoy. Lord, you give us so many things. You give us talents and gifts to steward to your glory. But Lord, what should we do with all this goodness? Lord, it leads us to repentance when we sin. It gives us promises to live by. Your truth does. And it encourages our hearts to love and pursue holiness. Lord, we long for heaven where we will finally be perfect. But for now, we live in a world where we are still beset by sin, by failure, and by weakness. And Lord, we confess that we often stumble and fall. And Lord, because we do that, we constantly need, we desperately need your constant forgiveness and your sustaining grace. So Lord, I pray that you give us all here at the Living Church and those who are hearing this sermon, this prayer, that you give us a deeper hunger for the righteousness that comes from you, the righteousness that comes from your truth, the righteousness that you call us to. Lord, we pray for those who are grieving this morning. We pray for Michelle's family. She was a member of our church when we first started, and we pray for her family, her son. We pray, Lord, that she is with you. I don't know whether she is or not, but we pray that she did confess faith in you and persevered in the faith. We pray for her son that he's done the same. We pray for her loved ones, Lord. She does have loved ones. That you comfort them in their time of loss. And Lord, we also thank you for the uh, good report from Marianne. Pray that you continue to be with her and uh, Pastor Bob as she goes through what she's uh, going through with breast cancer. That you continue to heal her, Lord. And we thank you for uh, the fellowship that our churches have together. We thank you for the friendship of, of her with Fran and, and me with Bob and Bob and Marianne with our church and ABC with us. We pray that you continue to be with them. Lord, we ask you right now to comfort those who are brokenhearted in our midst. That your grace may comfort them. That your love may envelop them. To know, Lord, that no matter what sins we've committed, that you are a forgiving, that you are a gracious God. And your word testifies to that. And Lord, help us as believers to continue to love, honor, and serve one another as we love, honor, and serve you. To continue to worship you with all of our heart, with all of our mind, and with all of our strength. And to have love for one another, love for the saints. 
Lord, I pray for our children, our school-age children this morning. They are faced with many temptations in this world, many temptations at school, many temptations among their peers. I pray, Father, that you continue to uh, protect them, protect their minds, guard their hearts. And, Lord, I pray that they do the same, that you give our young people a hunger and thirst for you, a hunger and thirst for righteousness. And, Lord, I pray for all of us here. I ask, Lord, that your word would dominate our thinking, that we think biblically, that we think according to the scriptures, that we think according to what you say, Lord, because ultimately we will have to stand before you. We won't be standing before our friends and our family members and our coworkers. Lord, we will have to stand before you and give an account. So, Lord, may your word dominate our thinking. May your word cleanse our consciousness of all the filth that this world tries to put into our minds. All the filth that our eyes see. All the filth that our ears hear. Lord, may your word cleanse our consciousness. And Lord, may your word control our living how we live in this world, live according to your word and not being ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Not be ashamed to live a Christian life. It may not be popular, Lord, but what's not what's popular is not always right. And most times what is popular is never right. So, Lord, may your word control our living so that the glories of Christ and the transforming power of the gospel as we're going to read about this morning, would clearly be on display in us. Lord, thank you for that continual cleansing from all our sin. Thank you for the grace that is in Jesus Christ, our Savior. Thank you for the great love with which you have drawn us to yourself. Such divine favor, Lord, is something that we can never earn. You have given it simply because we ask in faith. Lord, we cling to Christ. We cling to your word. We cling to your truth that we were here this morning. And Lord, we ask in conclusion that through Christ, I may bring honor and glory to your worthy name as I preach. And Lord, that your spirit may reveal your truth to us all. May you be glorified this morning. In Christ's name I pray, amen. Amen. Thank the Lord for the privilege of prayer. We thank God that he does hear the prayers of his people. May let us turn to Galatians. We're in our third series. In this book, and we're going to preach from the topic this morning, the supernatural call of God the supernatural call of God Amen and this is Galatians uh, 1 verses 11 through 24 and this is Paul speaking of his, his call as an apostle and it says but I make known to you brethren that the gospel which was preached by me 
is not according to man. For I neither received it from man, nor was I taught it, but it came through the revelation of Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my former conduct in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God beyond measure and tried to destroy it. Think about that. And I advanced in Judaism, excuse me, beyond many of my contemporaries in my own nation, being more exceedingly zealous for the traditions of my fathers. But when it pleased God, who separated me from my mother's womb and called me through his grace to reveal his son in me, that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately confer with flesh and blood, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went to Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to see Peter and remained with him 15 days. But I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother, not concerning the things which I wrote to you indeed before God, I did not lie. Afterward, I went to the regions of Syria and Cilicia, and I was unknown by the face to the churches of Judea, which were in Christ. But they were hearing only. He who formerly persecuted us now preaches the faith which he once tried to destroy, and they glorified God in me. Amen. In this section from here, verse 11 to uh, chapter 2, verse 21, this is basically an autobiographical section uh, where Paul begins um, telling of his experience of conversion and beyond that. And he does this to counter the accusations of those false teachers. So he's beginning to basically give a defense for his ministry. Uh, so we see that in this section all the way to chapter 2, verse 21, which we will, get, we will cover in the next uh, few weeks. Because Paul's opponents accused him of being arrogant and preaching another gospel when they were the ones who were actually doing it. We covered that last week in no other gospel. So they were accusing Paul of being arrogant. So Paul was proclaiming one message and one message only, and that was the true gospel. But his accusers were saying that he was proclaiming one message to the Gentiles and one to the Jews, but that was not true. And they also accused Paul of being at odds with the apostles in Jerusalem. And that's why he spoke of going down to Jerusalem. And we'll see what he said about that. So Paul, in response to what uh, the accusations, uh, argued from his own experience uh, to defend both his apostleship and his message. And so that is where we land today. So first I want to define a word. We use the word supernatural. I think there's a television show that comes on called Supernatural. Um, there have been a lot of shows and movies about supernatural. Man is curious about the supernatural. But what does supernatural mean? The, the prefix super means above or beyond. That's what super means. Super means above or beyond. So when you think about supernatural, you're talking about something that is above or beyond what is natural. 
Something that is above or beyond what is natural. And so the supernatural can include both positive things and negative things. Anything that deals with uh, the demonic realm, think movies like paranormal activity, all those things, those are supernatural. They're beyond nature. They're beyond what's natural, but it's demonically influenced. You're thinking about movies like Insidious that came out a few years ago and all those paranormal activity movies and all those things. They, they deal with man's curiosity with the demonic world, with what's supernatural. And then you think about feats that humans uh, accomplish. And they would say, man, that was supernatural. That was beyond uh, what humans can do. But it can't be if a human can actually do it. That doesn't make it supernatural. If a person can actually do it. Because it is beyond what is natural. It is beyond nature. It is above nature. And so things that are supernatural deal with the spirit world. Deal with the spirit world. They are spiritual in nature. Although man tries to relegate supernatural to the human world. But no human being is supernatural. We cannot do supernatural things. Because we live in a natural world. We have a spirit world also, but the world is not only natural, but it's also, we have a spiritual realm also. But we can't do feats of supernatural. You can't go jump out the Empire State Building and land on your feet. Well, you may land on your feet, but your body will collapse into itself because you'll just splatter on the pavement below. But it's not like the superhero movie. That's why I call them superheroes. They're beyond heroic. They can jump off a tall building and land on their feet like that. No uh, broken knees or anything like that. But that is not how the supernatural world works. So when we think about our message this morning, we talk about the supernatural call of God. First, Paul begins, we're going to look at a few principles uh, today. I don't have them on the uh, screen. But first, Paul talks about the supernatural origin of the gospel. If you look at the first couple of verses here in verse 11, he says, but I want to make known to you, brethren, that the gospel which I which was preached by me is not according to man. He says, for neither I received it from man, nor was it, nor was I taught it, but it came through the revelation of Jesus Christ. So in these verses, Paul asserts the heavenly origin of his gospel message that it is not according to man, but it was rather through revelation of Jesus Christ. And this issue was very important to Paul because he said, I would make known to you or I would have you to know. He did not want them to be ignorant of the fact that his gospel was of a supernatural origin. And why was this important to him? Because of the integrity of his apostolic authority. If he was called by God, remember at the beginning of this letter, he says what? Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ. So his apostolic calling was supernatural. It was not according to man. So since his apostleship wasn't according to man, then the gospel that he was preaching was not according to man. So Paul defends himself because of that. Had it been for man, then they would have called into question his integrity. So Paul, to emphasize his point, he states both a negative and a positive. Negatively, he says, 
I neither received it from man nor was I taught it at the end of verse 11. That is a that is a negative. And he's not denying that he had learned facts about the life of Christ, which he did. He was there when Stephen had given his sermon as it is recorded in Acts the seventh chapter. So he learned about Christ even then when he was listening to that sermon because he was one of the ones who was there when Stephen was stoned to death. Although he received information about Christ from others, he had received supernaturally the gospel message that he preached. And what was the message that he preached, among other things? His interpretation of the Old Testament, his theological explanation of the events of Christ's life, his doctrine of salvation uh, through grace by faith, as we, we read in the book of Ephesians, the justification of the saints that we are justified by grace through faith the doctrine of justification the doctrine that the Jews and Gentiles are now one in the church there's neither Jew nor Gentile there's neither Jew nor Greek there's neither bond nor free there's neither male nor female but all are one in Christ that is a doctrine of the unity of the saints these things Paul had not received from man because man's heart is divisive man heart man's heart wants to divide but the gospel doesn't do that the gospel brings together regardless of earthly distinctions the gospel is one that reunites and that has to come from supernatural origin because man's heart is evil and wicked man would not devise a gospel that brings people together Man's gospel divides, but the true gospel brings together. The true gospel justifies man. Man's gospel brings eternal guilt. That's why man's gospel says if you're white, you're an oppressor and you will always be one. And if you're a black or a person of color, then you will always be oppressed because of your skin color. That is man's gospel. It divides. It puts people into categories. So the supernatural origin of the gospel is important because it comes from God. God is not the author of confusion. You look at our world right now. It is so full of confusion. But God is not the author of that. Confusion doesn't come from God. God is a God of order. God is a God of distinctions. Male, female, man, woman, humans, animals, earth, sky. Those are all distinctions. Look at Genesis 1. Land from the oceans. All distinctions. Because it was supernaturally ordained by God who is supernatural. And so this gospel message that Paul is preaching. God, uh, Paul used the negative. I need to receive it for man. Then positively he asserts at the end of verse 12. That he received it through revelation of Jesus Christ he received his gospel message directly from Jesus and I'll tell you this you have all these false preachers out here who claim that they've received special revelation from God no they have not they're not writing a new Bible so they're lying they're charlatans they are deceivers they are deceiving people when they come and say I got a word from the Lord today and don't even open their Bibles 
They claim that they got some type of special revelation while they were reading their Bible last night. The Lord spoke to me. You know how God speaks, friends? He speaks right here through his word. This is the supernatural message. Which is from this word right here. When a person says, I got a word from the Lord for you and don't give you book, chapter, verse and context, they're not giving you a word from God. It is of man. It is not of God. It is not supernatural. So Paul positively says that he received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. He asserts divine authority for his letters that he's writing to this Galatians. Galatians, listen to me because this is from God. This is not from man. This is not from me. He asserts the same thing for all of his scriptures. If you look at First Peter, I'm sorry, first, I'm sorry, Second Timothy. Look at Second Timothy right quick. Second uh, Timothy three sixteen and seventeen, and this is Paul saying this to Timothy. Second Timothy three sixteen to seventeen. Second Timothy three. Or as the former president may have said to Timothy. Second Timothy three, sixteen to seventeen, hear the word of the Lord. What are those first two words? All scripture. All scripture. Is given by inspiration of God. Or breathed out by God or God breathed. That means it has a supernatural organ. Origin rather. And is what? Profitable for doctrine. For reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God or woman of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. So what is Paul saying there to Timothy? The word of God is supernatural. It doesn't come from man. The gospel, the scriptures, and our religion are of supernatural origin. And they come to us by divine revelation. As I always say, as the axiom goes, if you want to hear from God, read your Bible. If you want to hear the audible voice of God, read your Bible out loud. The Bible is God's word. This is the very word of God, young people, older people, middle-aged people. The Bible is God's word. This is God's word right here. These words on these pages and on your phones. It did not come from the doctrine of men. It did not come from the traditions of the church. But it came from God. And because it didn't come from God, guess what? The word of God can only be supernaturally or spiritually understood. The Bible says the natural man cannot receive the things of the spirit because it is foolishness to him. Turn to 1 Corinthians, the second chapter. And this is what Paul, again, the same Paul we're talking about. Says here in 1 Corinthians 2. Look at verse 6, begin at verse 6. Get in the context here. 
It says here, begin at verse 6. Hear the word of the Lord. Hear God's word. Hear God speak. However, we speak wisdom among those who are mature, yet not the wisdom of this age, nor the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the ages for our glory, which none of the rulers of this age knew, for had they known, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. For it is written, I have not seen nor heard nor has entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. But God has revealed them to us through his what? Spirit. The mysteries of the gospel are revealed by his spirit. For the spirit searches all things, yes, the deep, deep things of God. For what man knows the things of a man except the spirit of the man which is in him? Even so, no one thing, no one knows the things of God except who? The spirit of God. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit which is from God. We being the saints. If you're a believer, you have the spirit of God. You have the Holy Spirit. That we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. What are those things freely given to us by God? The mysteries of the gospel. How do we know the word of God? Because the spirit of God who lives in all of us reveals that to us. These things we also speak. Not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches comparing spiritual things with spiritual. Here it is right here. Verse 14. I want to give you all the context. That's why I read those other verses. But the natural man. Notice it says natural, not supernatural. The natural man does not receive the things of the spirit of God, which includes the word of God. For they are what? Foolishness to him. This is why an unbeliever can't be saved because they don't have the spirit of God. That's why we pray that God saves them. They can't understand the word of God because they don't have the spirit of God. It's like beating your head against the wall. You can tell them, all, and it's okay to preach the gospel to people, but you have to pray that the Lord sends the spirit to reveal that truth to them because if not you're going to frustrate yourself so he says the natural man does not receive the things of the spirit but they are foolishness to him nor can he know them because they are what spiritually discerned okay supernatural the gospel is supernatural it has supernatural origins and it can only be understood supernaturally through the spirit of God so Paul here is asserting that it is not derived from man and it can't be understood by natural man but only through the spiritual man. Amen. And then the second principle here is he gives the manner of his conversion, the supernatural manner. So we looked at the supernatural origin. Now we're looking at the supernatural manner of Paul's conversion. We see this in verses 13 through 16. He says, If you have heard of my former conduct in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God beyond measure and tried to destroy it. And he advanced in Judaism. He was uh, more exceedingly zealous. Excuse me, but when it pleased God, who separated him from his mother's womb and called me through his grace to reveal his son in me. So Paul sets out to prove from his experience the supernatural call 
because he references supernatural conversion. Again, observe that Paul makes his point both negatively and positively about his transformation. Negatively, he reminds the Galatians of who he was before his conversion. What does he say? Again, I persecuted the church of God. Think, Paul persecuted the church of God. He was a persecutor of the church. He gave his testimony. He said, beyond measure and tried to do what? Destroy it. He reminds these Galatians of what he was. He was fanatically committed to the traditions of the Pharisees, which he was. When he said about his traditions, he was speaking of a Pharisee. He was uh, of the Pharisaic system. The Pharisees were uh, one of the groups of opposers to the Lord Jesus Christ. The Pharisees invented human laws or invented laws and rituals in addition to what uh, the Jews already had to follow. They were legalists. They, they invented schemes. They invented different laws in addition to the law that was already given. And he was more advanced than all the others. He surpassed all of his contemporaries in being self-righteous. He was so self-righteous. He, he was more self-righteous than the self-righteous. <laughs> That's basically what he was saying. The church had a message of salvation through Jesus Christ alone, but the Pharisees had a different message that you had to follow all these extra laws and extra rituals. You had to do things that would not require any law to prove that you were a follower of Jesus Christ. The church preached a different message. Nothing in the Christian message exalts man. Let me say that again. Nothing in the Christian message of the gospel exalts man. In the gospel, man is a sinner. Man is a rebel. Man's heart is evil. Man is in rebellion against God. The gospel does not exalt man. It exalts the Lord Jesus Christ. Christ is exalted. Man is humbled. In a true gospel message. The gospel message is never about us. As we talked about last week, it is all about what God has done for us through Christ. The gospel message calls for self-denial and repentance. It denies our uh, propensity to think that we bring something to the table. That we are the cause of our salvation. That we had something to do with us being saved. The gospel denies that. It is a self-denial. What did Christ say? Anyone who desires to come after me must first do what? Deny himself. What do you deny? You, you deny the fact that you can save yourself. That you contribute to your salvation. That somehow you're so special to God. That oh, he's going to look on you favorably because you're so special. Your Meemaw and your Pawpaw may think you're the apple of their eye, but in the eyes of the Lord, before you're saved, you are a sinner. You are exceedingly evil and wicked, and you are deserving of death. You are dead in your trespasses and sins. That is the gospel message. Not that you're all that and a bag of chips, and God is 
is, is you're, doing a, you're doing God a favor by him saving you. No, that is not the gospel message. And Paul was saying that, look, I was the worst of sinners. You've heard of my former life. Paul hated the very message that he was now preaching. This shows how supernatural this call of Paul was. The same message, the same church that Paul sought to destroy, he is now preaching the gospel to. There's nobody but God. You know what God does when he saves us? You may have been a little good at two shoes before he saved you, but you still hated God. God takes those who hates him when he saves them, he transforms them into worshipers of him. That's supernatural. In our natural state, we can't do that. We can't go from hating God and mustering up all the courage to start loving God. No. When we were, when God, before we were saved, we hated God. We rejected the gospel. We were haters of God. We were rebels. We didn't like the gospel. We didn't like hearing about church. We only went to church because my parents dragged me. Then we became adults. We only went to church because my mom or dad made me feel guilty about not coming to church. And then when you come to church, you're disengaged. You really don't want to be there. Why? Because you hate God. As they say, that's facts. But what does the supernatural call of God uh, do? When God saves us, when he transforms our heart, just like he did with the Apostle Paul, Paul was a persecutor of the church. He tried to destroy it. He was exceedingly zealous. But he says, when it pleased God, he gave all glory to God because when it pleased God to save it, it was God who changed Paul it was God who called Paul on that Damascus road and as is written in Acts the ninth chapter it was God who saved him we have to understand conversion is supernatural it is a supernatural act in verse 15 and 16 then Paul talks about his transformation positively when it pleased God. Or when he had set me apart, even from my mother's womb, and called me through what? His grace. To reveal his son in me. Man. That is the power of Conversion. It is a supernatural act. So Paul points out four aspects of his conversion. Let's look at these. Number one, he was converted by grace. Supernatural grace. He emphasizes again that it was God who set him apart. It is God who saves us. It is God who calls us out of darkness into his marvelous light. It is God who saves us. We don't save ourselves. By grace are you saved through faith. 
not of works. It is the gift of God, lest anyone should boast. That grace that saves you is the gift of God. Paul did not contribute to his salvation. In fact, he hated this gospel, as we just read. He hated it. All who are not in Christ, and because one of one of the parts of our fallen nature is we get sentimental sometimes about sinners and we don't look at sinners biblically. Anyone who is not saved hates the gospel. They hate the gospel. They may not act viscerally toward it. They may not flinch when they hear it, but in their hearts they hate the gospel. They don't want to be told that they're sinners. They don't want to be told that they're rebels. They don't want to be told that they're dead in their sins and trespasses. They would defend themselves and say, no, I'm a good person. Just ask everybody else. Look at all the good stuff I do. They'll defend themselves. I'm a good man. I'm a good woman. I keep a good job. I live in a nice house. Look at my life. I'm a good man. I'm good. You're still saying you hate the gospel. Because you're not good. You're evil. Your heart is wicked. Your heart is deceitful above all things, as Jeremiah says in Jeremiah 17. People will defend themselves to the death that they're good people. But they hate the gospel. And because they hate the gospel, they hate the church. And because they hate the church, they hate the Christ who is the head of the church. Your actions show that you hate it. You may not say it in your words, but your actions do, sinner. So Paul acknowledged that it was God. It wasn't him. And then next, he talks about the sovereign preparation, the supernatural preparation. God set him aside from his mother's womb. So all the way from the time that he was born, he knew that God had that call on his life. Do you know that every single person that is born, why, why did God create us? To do what? Worship him and to enjoy him forever. That is your purpose in life. There's no, no other thing but to worship God. God created all of us to worship him and to enjoy him forever. That's, how, that's why he created all of us. He didn't create us for ourselves. That's why people are so miserable now. That's why they're so lonely now. Because they are worshiping themselves. They made themselves out of idols and out of gods. And it's not working. It's not working. God, when you were born, his purpose, his call to worship him was on your life from day one. From the moment you were conceived. That's why you don't kill babies in the womb. Because they are made in the image of God from conception. And God has a call and a purpose in that baby's life. And when that baby is born, they are born with that sole purpose and that is to worship God and to enjoy him forever that is the chief end of man not to get rich not to become famous 
not to be worshipped by people. That's not the chief end of man because those are all empty pursuits. Because when you're gone, that's it. People are going to forget about you. And all they can say at your funeral is empty stuff like, oh, they made me laugh. Those are not bad things in and of themselves. But what kind of spiritual legacy are they? Are they with the Lord? Or, or are you just a person who made everybody laugh? Or always doing stupid tricks and stuff like that and everything. Is that all people are going to say about your life? That's empty. You got millions of people who can do that. But how many are living life to the glory of God? That is what's going to matter most. That is the best legacy to live. That's the legacy I want to leave to my own children. That your mom and your dad live life to God's glory. That we serve the Lord all of our life. That's the kind of legacy I want to leave. Yes, we do all these other things. We take trips and vacations all those things are fine in and of themselves. As I said, God gives us this earth. He gives us all things richly to enjoy. But that is not your sole purpose in life. It is not to eat, drink, and be merry. No. It is to live life to the glory of God. That is what he created us for. And Paul is saying this, that I was called from my mother's womb. That call. That supernatural preparation. God even said this to Jeremiah. Jeremiah 1 and 5. Paul is perhaps alluding to that. God told Jeremiah that he called him from his mother's womb. To be a prophet to. To be the weeping prophet. To be the sad prophet to uh, Judah. God had called Jeremiah. God prepared the prophet from his womb. To be his divine choice. And he prepared Paul the same way. And God didn't choose Paul. Because he had great potential. God doesn't choose man. Because they have great potential. He chooses them because he chooses them. He says what? When it pleased God. It was God's prerogative. Amen. Next. The supernatural call. He referred to his call on the road to Damascus. Call me through his sovereign grace. Paul worked secretly in Paul. I'm sorry, the gospel. God worked supernaturally in Paul on that road to Damascus. When he encountered the risen Lord. And he said, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Paul had been kicking against the pricks. That's what uh, Jesus asked him. Why are you kicking against the goals and kicking against the pricks? He had fell on the great conviction. And Christ subdued Paul by calling him to himself. And that's what he does when he calls us. He subdues us. He humbles us. And therefore, Paul points out that his conversion was by supernatural means when God pleased to reveal his son in me. Verse 16. God opened Paul's heart to show him Christ. To show him what following Christ was going to entail. What it was going to be like. That he was going to have to suffer. God revealed that call to him. And Paul was transformed 
by that. Next principle, we have the supernatural independence of Paul, Paul's message. So in verses 16 and 17, the end of 16, that I may preach among Gentiles, I did not immediately confer with flesh and blood, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went to Arabia and again to Damascus. So Paul continues to show the supernatural nature of his ministry by showing that he had received his ministry independent of the other apostles. And Paul did not immediately consult with flesh and blood. He did not receive it from man. That's what he meant by that. In verse 17, he adds that, again, he did not go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me. He points out that he began his ministry independently of the Jerusalem church. He wasn't being like a lone ranger, but that's just how God had called him to begin his ministry. Because Christ had appeared to Paul and called him to be an apostle to the Gentiles, he didn't need any other confirmation. He didn't need confirmation from the apostles because the Lord Jesus had personally, Paul saw the, on that road to Damascus, he saw the resurrected Christ. What, what more evidence do you need right you don't need man to confer you after you've seen the Christ uh, risen Christ yourself and so Paul was showing the independence of his message was supernatural that he didn't have to confer with the other apostles and he didn't go to Jerusalem he went to uh, Arabia the spirit of God had led him there uh, we see that in Acts 9 verses 17 through uh, 25 and then he would return to Damascus uh, to preach after three years in Arabia and then he had to flee Damascus and then he ended up in Jerusalem so it had been after three years so during this time this is when Paul uh, basically honed his gospel message he began if you read the book of Acts uh, from Acts 9 of course through the rest of the book you'll see Paul's apostolic ministry how he went from place to place on his on his journeys but Paul was showing the independence of his call that it was not of man he did not consult with flesh and blood and then we see the independent message verse 18 after three years I went up to Jerusalem to see Peter and this is that Peter and remained with him 15 days and he saw none of the other apostles except James the Lord's brother and this is James who wrote the book of James by the way then he went to the regions of Syria and Cilicia so he began to chronicle uh, his message but he still didn't go with all the apostles. He met with Peter for a little bit, and then he met with James. So Paul talks about two more uh, biographical arguments to prove the integrity of his message. And in this part, he talked about how his ministry had the approval of the Jewish church. In verses 18 through 20, he confirms the divine character of his call by the fact that he was not dependent on the Jerusalem church for his 
uh, office or his message. He didn't have an office in Jerusalem. He visited with Peter just for what? 15 days. He didn't, he didn't stay there uh, that long. But let's coordinate. Let's, let's turn to Acts 9 right quick and, and coordinate what we see in here with Luke's account in Acts, the ninth chapter. So let's turn to the book of Acts and look at the ninth chapter. Because Luke talks about how he spent uh, days, several days with the disciples in Damascus. So uh, look at Acts 9, 9 verse 19 through 30. At the end of 19 it says, Then Saul spent some days with the disciples at Damascus. In verse 20, Immediately he preached the Christ in the synagogues, that he is the son of God. Then all who heard were amazed and said. Is this not he. Who destroyed those. Who called on this name in Jerusalem. And they come here for that purpose. So that he might bring them bound to the chief priests. Remember Paul had just talked about his testimony to the Galatians. That he was the one who persecuted church. And this is where he's saying it. But Saul increased all the more in strength. And confounded the Jews who dwell in Damascus, proving that this Jesus is the Christ. Now, after many days were passed, the plot, the Jews rather plot to kill him. Why? Because he was preaching the true gospel. But their plot became known to Saul, and they watched the gates day and night to kill him. Then the disciples took him by night and let him down through a wall in a large basket. That's a nice escape. And then when Saul had come to Jerusalem, he tried to join the uh, disciples, but they were all afraid of him and did not believe that he was a disciple. Why? Because of what he did to the church. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles, and he declared to them how he had seen the Lord on the road, and that he had spoken to him, and how he had preached boldly at Damascus in the name of Jesus. So he was with them at Jerusalem, coming in and going out, and he spoke boldly in the name of the Lord Jesus and disputed the Hellenists. Hellenists were Greek-speaking Jews. Uh, but they attempted to kill him. When the brethren found out, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him to Tarsus. So this is the account that Luke gives when Paul was in Jerusalem. When it says in verse 18, back in Galatians, after three years I went up to Jerusalem, this is harmonizing those two things together so what Luke was speaking about is what Paul was saying in verse 18 here in Galatians 2 so we're back in Galatians now so with this in mind we see that Paul's ministry was exercised independently of the Jerusalem church he just went different churches and the disciples rescued him but he still went back out Barnabas took him under his care and introduced him to the apostles and Paul says he spent 15 days with uh, Cephas. Now Cephas is Aramaic for Peter. So our translations may say Cephas instead of uh, Peter, but it's the same person. But Paul proved that his appointment to the apostolic ministry was a divine appointment and that his message was divinely revealed because his call and message were independent of the Jerusalem church. 
He did not need their help. Why? Because his message was divinely appointed. It was divinely called. He says, I assure you, I am not lying. He says that at the end of verse 20. Now, Paul's independence did not uh, imply that he had an independent spirit. It did not mean that. He was just saying that while he was not received by the apostles, he had to go out and preach the message because he had to call on him. Remember, he was not at first received by the apostles. Why? Because he had persecuted the church. So he had to go out and do it on his own. But he did it on his own because it was a supernatural call on his life to fulfill that purpose to do that. That's why he continued in doing that. And that is what makes it supernatural. So lastly, we see because it was supernatural, his ministry had the hearty approval of the church. So look at verse 21. Afterward, I went to the regions of Syria and Cilicia, and I was unknown by the face of the churches of, of, of Judea who were in Christ. So the saints in Judea didn't know him. Didn't mean that they didn't want him around. They just didn't know who he was. But they were hearing only. What were they hearing? He who formerly persecuted us now preaches the faith which he tried to destroy. And they glorify God in me. Man, Paul, that's a great landing spot. Paul affirms next that the church enthusiastically accepted his message. And why? Because they saw the change that he had in his life. In Acts 9, 28 and 29, I read this for you. It says he spent two weeks in Jerusalem teaching and preaching. However, apart from those two weeks, he did not minister in Judea. During the time he was with them, moving freely in Jerusalem, speaking out boldly in the name of the Lord. And he was talking and arguing with the Hellenist Jews. They were attempting to put him to death, but when the brethren learned of it, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him away to Tarsus. I just read that. The church saw that Paul was real. They saw that the supernatural call was the real thing. And so, so what did they do? They sought to support him. They sought to help him. And Paul ministered together with Barnabas for an entire year. That's chronicle in Acts 11. So while Paul, while the apostles ministered to the Jews, Paul and Barnabas ministered to the Gentiles. This was how God had purposed it. And the church knew and approved of his work. He was unknown, but when they heard it, they said he was the one who persecuted the church. And now he's preaching the faith. They kept hearing and they glorified God. So Paul demonstrated his supernatural call through a supernatural call that his ministry was approved of by the church. It took a while to get there because guess what? This man went around persecuting the church very zealously. So it took a while for the church to warm up to him. But because he had that supernatural call on his life, guess what? You can't deny it. 
You can't deny it at all. So I want to give a couple of applications here as we get ready to close. Number one, no one can deny or take away the supernatural call of God on a believer. You're saved supernaturally. Guess who can take your salvation away from you? No one. Amen. No one can take that away from you. Once God saves you, you're kept. Jesus said all his sheep know his voice. In John 10. All of his sheep, those who truly belong to him, they know his voice. And guess what else he said? No one can pluck them out of my hand. No one can. No one can take us from Christ. Christ said, I know my sheep and I am known by my own. So when God calls us by his supernatural call of salvation, no one can take that from us. No matter what God calls us to, no man can take it from us. Why? Because it was given to us by God. No one could take Paul's ministry away from him because it was supernaturally ordained by God. He was supernaturally called by God. No one can take the gospel message away. No one can take the effect of the gospel message away. Why? Because it's God's gospel. It is supernaturally ordained by God. That's why we preach the gospel. Because it has the power to save. So that's the first thing I want us to know as believers. That we have that assurance. That no one. Can take. This call. Away from us. Number two, no one can stop the supernatural effect of the gospel from working. When the gospel is preached, two things happen, as I always say. Either a person is going to receive the gospel or they're going to reject it. If they reject it, it's going to do a supernatural work. It's going to do the supernatural work of hardening their heart. It's going to harden their heart. The more a person hears the gospel and the more they reject it, the more their heart gets hardened. That's why the Bible says, the day that you hear my voice, harden not your heart. When you hear that voice to repent, when you hear that voice to follow Jesus, don't harden your heart. Turn away from your sin and turn to Christ. He will forgive you. Don't turn to your sin and turn away from Christ. Turn to Christ and turn away from your sin. Many people turn away from Christ and say, I don't want that, and turn to their sin. And when they do that, guess what? That supernatural hardening of their heart takes place. 
when a person receives the gospel, when they hear it, Lord, save me. The gospel does a supernatural work in their heart in transforming them and conforming them to Christ. It does that supernatural work of making them more like Christ, doing that work of regeneration in their hearts. So it's supernatural either way. It's just according to what part of supernatural you want to be on. You want to be on the side of being supernaturally hardened or supernaturally softened by the gospel. Some people can't take the gospel. We had the lady that was going to our church for a while when we started talking about the Trinity. She just couldn't take it. I grieve for her, but she couldn't take it. So she left. Because she could not take hearing the true gospel about the doctrine of the Trinity. So it's going to have a supernatural effect, the gospel is, because it is supernatural. But we proclaim it anyway. And the last thing I want to land at, last application, is this. Concerning Paul's conversion, that he persecuted the church beyond measure and tried to destroy it. Don't underestimate the power. This kind of ties in with the second principle, but don't underestimate the power of the gospel to save. We can't look at where a person is and say, man, they, they can't be. We can't look at a person and say, they blew it. No. If you look at Paul, he wouldn't, he wouldn't make it today. People, oh, no, he not, he's not. He's persecuting the church. I, I, I'm not listening to him. That's what people would say today. But Paul's conversion story proves the mighty power of the gospel to save when it pleases God. We can never think a person is not far gone until they're pushing up daisies. Until that day, you pray for them, you pray that God saves them. Now, yes, God does harden their heart, but you still, you still hold out hope and pray for them. But on the flip side of that, you have people who have hardened their hearts. What do you do? You still pray that the Lord may perhaps have mercy on them. Young people, I'm going to tell you this. You're going to be 51 years old one day like me. When I was your age, I thought somebody my age was old. And here I am that age. <laughs> when I was 17, 18, I thought 51 was old. Well, I guess it was, right? You know, it was 34 years older. But now that I'm that age, I'm that age that I thought was old. I'm telling you this. You're on borrowed time. Don't think if you're not in Christ now, if you're not saved, if you're not living that life, don't think one day is going to be open sesame and all of a sudden you're going to start doing it. It's not the way sin works. Sin doesn't say, okay, I'm going to let up. Okay, I'm through with you. That's not what sin does. Sin is a cruel taskmaster. Sin will destroy you. Sin will take you down for the count. 
Sin doesn't relent. It doesn't let up. Until a person repents and turns to Christ and be saved, sin is going to dominate you. Don't think, ah, I'll wait until I get old, older, 25, 30. I'll wait until I get a house. I'll wait until I get married. You'll be waiting, waiting, waiting. And the longer you wait, the harder your heart is going to become. That's what's going to happen. That's the way sin operates. God saved Paul because God saved Paul. We can't think, we can't take grace for granted and think, oh, all of a sudden it's going to magically happen to us. Now is the day of salvation. Now is the time of salvation. Now is the time to come to Christ. Now is the time to repent and believe the gospel. Do not harden your heart. Now is the time. Amen. Let us pray. Father, I thank you for the supernatural call of the gospel. I thank you for the supernatural call of salvation. I thank you, Lord, that your word is supernatural. And that it is effective. Lord, I pray this morning as this message was preached, that those who hear it, who are unbelievers, who know in their hearts that they are not in Christ, that if they die today, no one will be able to pray them into heaven or preach them into heaven. Lord, they know in their hearts that they're not in Christ, that their hearts haven't been regenerated. They may have some type of cultural or social religion, but they're not truly saved and truly converted. They may even go to church every Sunday and may say preach preacher or amen, but their hearts are not saved. Lord, I pray for them this morning that they turn to Christ and have their sins blotted out, that they turn to Christ and believe the gospel and be saved. And Lord, it can only be done supernaturally. There is nothing that they can do to contribute to their salvation. I pray, Lord, that they respond to the call to be saved. That when they hear your voice, they cry out, Lord, save me from my sins. And be saved. And Lord, I pray that you encourage believers, those of us who are saved, to know our testimony. Man, that Lord, it was, it was your, it was, <laughs> it was ordained by you. It pleased you. Who called us and saved us. Let us rejoice in that Father. And Lord lastly let us rejoice in the fact that all of us. Every single person has a call to worship you and to enjoy you forever. Not to fulfill our own desires Lord. But to fulfill your will. To do your work in this world. And Lord you have that call on everyone's life. And I pray that we see that and we live that out. Thank you, Lord, for your word this morning. In Christ's name I pray, amen. May let us stand and sing our doxology and do our final blessing.